How are you guys doing? You made it to the second week of the school, right? And it's a Friday. Friday is my favorite day of the week. Um, good to see you guys. I would like to encourage everyone who comes to chapel um, so to not sit at the back of uh, these walls. We have enough sitting in here. So when you come in here, please find a spot in here and sit down. And if there's uh, space to your left or right that's empty, just move so that it doesn't feel like a task someone has to move in to find a seat. So let's create space for everyone to be able to come and enjoy and have this community with us. Are we good? Awesome. And then um, last semester, we launched Encounter Groups, and we had amazing groups sign up, people come in and sign up. Um, and thank you to everyone who signed up and is part of the group. Clap for yourselves. Okay. <laughs> so what we are going to do this semester is we're going to be highlighting some of the groups that have actually been meeting because we do have some groups. And so it's not too late for some of you who have not joined a group. This semester, we are having another opportunity for each and every one of you to be part of a group. So I'd like you guys to pull out your phones, scan that QR code if you want to sign up to become part of a group, and someone from campus ministry is going to reach out to you. The second thing I'd like you to do is pull out your phone even if you're in a group, whether it's an encounter group or it's an athletic team. We want to know how many groups are actually meeting on our campus. And the purpose of this group is to meet regularly, once a week or twice a week, depending on how you seem fit as a group. I like when people are taking out their phones and scanning these. Should I give you a minute? Everybody, put out your phone and scan this QR code. Fill in the details so that we can grab these details as well. So the purpose of this group is to meet as a group every week and spend time in God's Word. And the second thing is uh, challenging each other, holding each other accountable, and the most important thing is doing life together. We want to create this community for, so that you have people who you can have deeper conversations with. You can uh, go to the group and ask, what did you learn in chapel this past week? What stood out for you? How can we apply this in our daily lives? So I'd encourage you to be part of a group. And the amazing thing is we have an amazing group that helps us resource our encounter groups. They help us, they come up with... Um, resources for us to be able to use. And we started partnering with them last semester, and they're here again. So Cornerstone, would you help me welcome the Reclaim Today team as they come a second time to launch us into this new semester with great, amazing resources. So let's clap for them as they come on stage. Oh. Hi, uh, my name is Catherine, and I'm here today with Trevor and Daniel. And I just wanted to pray us in real quick. So if you'll bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for bringing us here today together, Lord. Whether these students have to be here to get credit or whether they came here just to spend time together with you, God, we're thankful that they're here. And we thank you that you brought us all together to be as one. You are a good father. That's something I keep coming back to, God, is that you are just a good father regardless of our circumstances. You are good, and you are holy, you are righteous, and you are true. And we thank you for that today, Lord. I pray for Trevor and Daniel, that you would just cover them with peace and wisdom. And I pray that you would help them to not mess it up. <laughs> we thank you, and we praise you, and we love you for all that you are, all that you're doing, and all that you will do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, guys. My name's Trevor. Um, you might recognize my name from uh, the emails that you don't read. 
Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, a round of applause for, for her. That'd be great. Um, no. I, I actually do get a notification every time someone unsubscribes, so that keeps me up at night just in weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, but I do send like a weekly report to Mordecai with all those names, so um, Brian, you know who you are. I'm just kidding. Okay, so uh, after college, I moved out to Colorado. I spent a lot of time hiking out in the mountains. This is one of my favorite pictures, one of my favorite hikes. Um, you might be wondering, what are they looking at? And the answer is a porcupine. I named him Carlos. Uh, now, you might be wondering at this point, what does Carlos have to do with the rest of this chapel? Nothing. Um, I, just, I found him looking for something else. So, anyways, um, we eventually got to the lake that we were hiking to, this crystal clear blue lake, and um, these photos aren't edited at all. This is just how clean the water is. It reflects the sky and nothing else because there's nothing to get in the way. So, Fast forward about six months, I'm sat in the office of my spiritual director, which is kind of like a Christian counselor, and processing some obstacles in my life, some things that I wasn't um, getting over that I was upset about, and he uh, described to me this lake in the mountains that could have been the same one or, or one similar that uh, was so clean and so clear because there wasn't any vegetation around it that it was literally too pure to sustain life. But that's not as pure as water can get. <laughs> These scientists in Northeastern University discovered water so pure it will literally kill you. It's um, ultra purified. It's gone through tons of uh, processes that strip away magnesium and potassium and other particles that um, kind of make water useful. And that if you were to drink it or if you were to put a goldfish in it like they did in one of their tests where they put it in and just a few seconds later the goldfish died, sadly. Um, but what happened was the cells just swelled up and eventually exploded. And so <laughs> they say that for this reason, death by ultra pure water is known as the slow death, perfect for your arch enemy or unruly beta. The good news is you can get it for $27.50 on Amazon. <laughs> and we've actually got some right here. So don't drink this. I know you want to. Don't do it. <laughs> but as you kind of bring our attention back to that lake that was too pure to sustain life because it had no dirt in it, I want to ask this question that we'll camp out on today. Is it possible that the dirt we are ashamed of can be the same stuff that sustains our life in God? Jesus uh, often taught in parables, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and one of those parables, <clears throat> excuse me, um, was about dirt. <laughs> and um, <laughs> this tastes a little weird. Actually, it has no taste. Um, no, but Jesus taught a lot in parables. And one of those parables was about dirt. And it's a parable that you probably know pretty well. Um, but before I jump into that parable, I want to talk a little bit about what parables are and what parables are not. So parables are sometimes thought of as fables, where there's a moral to the story. And maybe you recognize the fable that you see there. It's one of Aesop's fables. The moral of the story is, don't give in to flattery or you'll go hungry. Well, parables are not fables. They don't just have one point. They have lots of different points. And sometimes reading 
a parable will introduce you to different characters that you might identify with at different times, different things you might identify with. So it's not just about one point. Sometimes we think of parables like allegories, like Pilgrim's Progress, where every single thing in the story has to have meaning, but actually a lot of parables just have details that they're there to help tell the story. So parables are not fables, they're not allegories. Maybe a good way to think of parables is as immersive stories. Have any of you ever been in like a 4D, 3D, 5D, 6D theater? Do you know what I'm talking about? If you have, raise your hand. Okay, so I used to work at a family entertainment center that was a lot like Craig's Cruisers. Anybody been there? It's like on the other side of town, yeah. So, and we had laser tag, go-karts, all those types of things. But we also had a 7D theater, which I didn't know there was that many Ds, but there are evidently. So 7D theater means you go into this theater, the film's in 3D, the seats move around, at one point in one of the films, you go under the water and bubbles bubble up. Um, and then there's fake snow that falls sometimes. The wind blows in your face as you're watching this film. And so this film ends up being much more than just something you watch. It's a fully immersive experience. And pa parables in the ancient time of Jesus' life were a lot like this. The purpose of the story was an immersive story. It was a, a story that invites you to feel and touch, to taste, to hear the, what's going on in the story, to maybe identify with a different person depending on which time you read it or perhaps identify with a thing in the story. And what's amazing about immersive stories is when you really get into the story, it begins to shape how you think. Immersive stories start to shape how you view the world or how you view God or yourself or others. Has anybody read like a fiction book or something and found yourself really identifying with a character or something in the story before? Yes, no? Okay, what about a movie? Where you really identify with what's going on in this movie and as a result it changes the way you walk out of a theater or when you're done reading that book. And so that's kind of the idea of parables. And so there's this one parable about dirt that Jesus tells. I'm sure you guys are very familiar with it. Um, I'm not going to read the actual parable because later on Jesus actually explains the parable, and I'm just going to read Jesus' explanation of it. Uh, if you're not familiar, it's the one where the farmer throws a bunch of seeds, some falls on the path, some on rocky ground, some on good soil, there's some thorns in one of the... Uh, areas of ground. That's the story. And what happens is after Jesus tells this parable, his disciples come to him and they're like, what the heck was that about? <laughs> Which actually is really encouraging for us because have you ever read a Bible story and you're like, I have no idea what this is about, right? That happens pretty often to me. Uh, and so we're in good company because the disciples who heard this story out of Jesus' mouth also had to ask Jesus, we have no idea what you were talking about. So Jesus describes it to them, and I'm going to read the account out of Matthew 13. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. 
And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, the person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, and indeed bears fruit, and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So again, as we've already talked about, oftentimes we try to read a parable like this and we make it into one thing. And the one thing that we often make this parable into is, well, which soil am I? Am I the good soil? Am I the rocky soil? Am I the, the thorny soil? Well, what if the invitation in this parable is to consider the fact that we're all the soils at once? That all of these different parts of soils are in us in shaping how we view God or how we experience who God is and what he wants to teach us. So with that in mind, I just want to ask some questions and go through these soils again. And just maybe ask the Lord with an open posture, Lord, show me where I am these different types of soils in my heart or mind or soul. So where are you the path? Where are the ideas that you hear about scripture from scripture, maybe you're reading the Bible or maybe someone's teaching or it's in a song or a piece of art or from a friend and you get really excited about that idea but then you don't really hear it. It really doesn't take root in your life. Now, these are actually really hard for us to identify because oftentimes this is the type of soil in our hearts that's a blind spot for us. These are the things that are really hard for us to see in ourselves and we need either the Holy Spirit to show up and begin to prod us and say, hey, this isn't good. Or that's what community is for, which is why we're spending this month talking about friendship because we need other people in our lives to hold up the mirror to us and say, hey, I, I think this is some path in your life. Now, of course, unless they're here today, they're not going to know what that means, but then you can explain it. Um, but this is the area where I see, like, there's truth surrounding you. There's good things. Like, God has life-changing, this life-changing work he wants to do in your life, but you're not hearing this love that he has for you. The things that we don't believe about God, that we want to hear, but then for some reason the evil one comes and snatches it away. And then there's the rocky ground, which evidently Carlos really liked, um, which is why Trevor got to get a picture of him. But in this, what are some of those life-giving truths that you've heard and you received them with joy? That's one of the phrases in Matthew's parable. You received it with joy. You were so excited about it. But then as life got harder and more difficult, it was one of those ideas that kind of slipped away. Maybe it was something that for me, I often hear like in a worship setting from a sermon or in a worship song, and I get so excited about it, and I'm passionate, and it feels so true, but then I run into whatever it is that happens in my life, and it begins to not feel true anymore. What are some of those things for you? And then there's the thorny soil, and let's just be real. All of us, every single person in this room, we have some thorns in our lives. We have some places in our hearts that are thorny soil. And this is some of the kind of categories that the Bible gives us. In Matthew, um, he calls it the cares of the world or the allure of wealth. 
Now notice, those are kind of two spectrum things, right? One of them is the cares of the world. These are like the really hard things about life, the things that we should care about. And then on the other side, it's like the allure of all the things that just glitter and distract us away from God. Mark adds the desire for other things. The Gospel of Luke adds the pleasures of life. So what are the cares of the world that make us hard to believe that God really is good, that he cares about us, that he loves us? What are the things that distract us in our lives because we desire them so much that it actually pulls us away from the better life that God wants to give us? Think about some of those things as you think about the thorny soil. And then there's the good soil. And every single person in this room has some good soil in their life. And this is something that we should celebrate and rejoice. The fact that there are places where the Holy Spirit has softened us to hear that God loves us, that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, that he cares deeply for us as his kids, that he made us, that we are his. All of us have this good soil and we can celebrate that good soil. And I would encourage you to do that today. Think about what the good soil is in your life and celebrate that. Now with all of these soils, one of the things I think Jesus is telling us in this parable or inviting us to consider is that Jesus wants to lean into each one of these soils in our lives. He wants to transform the rocky soil and the thorny soil and the path in our lives and make it into good soil. Think about the role that soil has in preparing itself to grow. What does it do? Nothing, right? It lays there. It just lays there, and the farmer's job is to come in and to make the soil into something that can grow. And that's the mystery of the good news of the gospel of Jesus, is that he is the farmer that comes in and tills all the soil and can take even the worst possible things in our lives and make them into good soil. That's who Jesus is. And when we try to do it ourselves, well, we end up looking a lot like the Pharisees who were really good at washing the outside of the cup, but they could not change their own hearts. We need God to come in and change our hearts and to make us into good soil. So again, the question that Trevor and I wanna ask is, is it possible that the dirt, the things we're so ashamed of, the things that we're afraid that somebody's gonna find out about us, that that's the same stuff that can actually sustain our life in God because that's where God wants to meet us. And so when we talk about um, dirt, we, uh, we really mean it. Like the stuff that we don't want anyone to find, about, find out about, um, these are the things that we often think disqualify us from life with God or that make us too far gone or not able to be forgiven or, um, you know, just not able to really be used by God. But what if these were the same places that God actually wanted to meet us? Now, dirt isn't clean. It is not pure, whatever that means. But, and, and these things aren't good, right? But they can be good soil if we allow God to meet us in these places, and if we don't believe that God only forms us in spite of these things, but that God can actually form us through these things. 
that God doesn't just love us in spite of these things, but God loves us through these things. We don't have to get over these things in order to be worthy of an encounter with God or worthy of a relationship with God. But this is where we begin with God, and God wants to take us all the way back there. And so again, whatever that dirt is, could that be the stuff that actually sustains and gives life to our relationship with God? And if none of those things really resonated with you, when we started talking about all this, what's the one thing that you were hoping we weren't going to bring up? Because you don't want to deal with that. And just in case you need a few more biblical reasons why God meets us in the dirt of our lives, we've got a few examples for you. Think about the Samaritan woman. She's at the well in the middle of the day by herself. She's probably there at that time and in that culture by herself in the middle of the day because she's a complete outcast from her culture. So where does Jesus meet her? There in her aloneness, perhaps in her shame, to show her what true love is. Our King David, right? Guilty of some of the worst crimes that humanity can do, rape and murder. And yet somehow, even in that dirt, there was forgiveness. And as a result, the wisest king that Israel ever saw, King Solomon, was one of David's kids. Or Naomi, experienced the death of her husband, the death of her kids. So where does God meet her? God meets her in her utterly broken heart through the love of her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Or perhaps Elijah, 1 Kings 19, one of the most important passages for me in my life in the Bible. Elijah's fear and anxiety gets the best of him. He runs away, literally running for his life, he ends up in a place of depression and utter, utter discouragement and burnout. He's ready to just end it all or have somebody end it. God, just let me die. And that's where he meets God, and God meets him. Or Zacchaeus, at the peak of his dishonesty and theft, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I want to come over to your house. And as a result, Zacchaeus' whole life is changed. Or Mary, yep, that Mary, Jesus' mom, Mary. She was a teenage girl that experienced all of the fear in the world, perhaps the complete rejection of her community when she's found out to be pregnant, and she gives birth to Jesus, the Savior of the world. And then, might we even include Jesus in this list? His closest friends fall asleep when Jesus needed them the most. One of his closest friends betrays him so that he is killed and tortured. And yet it's because of those scars and those wounds that he holds out to another one of his close friends, Thomas, that Thomas believes in Jesus. And so perhaps Jesus is inviting us to the same thing today, to hold out those scars, which might remind us of our scars, to invite us to experiencing that healing and new life that God has for us. And so with our last few minutes, we want to do something a little different. 
This is called imaginative prayer, sometimes called Ignatian contemplation, but don't let that freak you out. It's just a way that Christians for a few hundred years have been diving into the Gospels and having an immersive um, kind of prayer experience to uh, just put themselves in the story of Scripture and encounter God in a new way. And so we're going to have just some instrumental music. Um, Don't worry, this isn't going to get too weird. We're not going to have you, like, talk to the person next to you or share anything. Um, Just be still for a few moments. So feel free to settle in, just relax into your chair. Um, While the music is playing, I invite you to close your eyes. And to hold out your hands in front of you in your lap. Like you're holding something in your hands. Bring to mind the dirt that you're carrying. Feel its weight in your hand. It might be something that happened to you in the past or recently that you just can't shake the memory of. It might be a decision that you made that now, looking back, you regret. It might be something that you were born with that you just wish God would take away already. Whatever it is, notice it, name it, and feel the weight. And now imagine that you're in a room with the disciples 2,000 years ago. They're all trying to make sense of Jesus' death, trying to pick up the pieces. Just then you notice a presence in the room. You look up and see Jesus there. And the disciples start to notice also. But Jesus is looking past all them, right at you. You see Jesus notice the dirt that you're holding. What does it feel like to be seen? What's his facial expression? What's his posture towards you? Does he stay still? Does he come closer? Does he embrace you? What does Jesus have to say about all the wounds, all the hurt, all the shame you're carrying? Listen for what Jesus has to say to you. Jesus holds out his hands and you see his wounds. Put your finger here, he says, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Jesus says to you, like he says to the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? What do you have to say to Jesus? Jesus.